I'll try and explain in a bit more detail what we're going to be doing and why. It's not every day that you get fully clothed into a big tank of water in front of a whole load of people, is it? Not unless you have a really odd hobby or you're a, a magician's assistant or something like that. It doesn't really happen. Let me reassure you, you are not about to witness any kind of magic trick, authentic or otherwise. There is no mystical transformation. Your friend or your relative, they're not about to come up out of the water and suddenly they're in shimmering white robes and there's a halo and a a sort of an unearthly glow about them. You can hear the hallelujah chorus being sung by angelic beings as they look down upon them. That really isn't going to happen. It's not even holy water, I'm afraid. We just got it out the tap. It's, uh, it's southern water. It's the, best, it's the best they can do, which doesn't say that much, does it? Um, if you're from southern water, that's obviously meant in a non-legal, humorous sense. The, the water here is not going to actually do anything to them other than get them wet. The water here, getting baptised, is not going to make them Christians. They're doing this, in fact, because they have already become Christians. And the Bible says that one of the first things you do when you have become a Christian is you then get baptised. It's a bit like getting your GCSE certificates. Or for those of you who are a bit older than me, your O-level or CSE certificates. I don't know what they had before then. Sorry, I can't help you out on that one, Charles. What we're going to do in that case... Do you remember the GCSE certificates? You know, they, you know, you sit down in the summer, and it's always in the summer when you've got hay fever and it's hot, and you're in the hall and you're writing down, and they've, and they've annoyingly put the desks so far apart that you can't sort of see what anyone else is putting. We like to work together. It's collaborative learning. It's good for future employment. And you're looking around, and you can't see it, and you're slaving away, and eventually you've done everything you can, having studied all afternoon uh, the day before on the grass... <laughs> outside in the sunshine because it's a sunny day and I get more done if I'm relaxed with a drink and some music on a couple of friends round. I was a teacher so I know these things. And then several months later you either get the kind of certificate through the post or if you go to a school that's very keen on celebrating success then you get a a, a GCSE presentation evening don't you? where everyone kind of files back off. They've been at college a couple of, couple of months and they turn up and everyone's looking a bit smart and they pretend to like the people that they've forgotten who they were again and, you have, and the people that you really liked, you have a little chat with them and then you get your certificate. Oh, you've got your GCSE certificates and you know you proudly celebrate your grade G in food technology or something like that. Um, that certificate evening, even receiving the certificate doesn't do anything, does it? It doesn't do anything. It doesn't make you smarter. It doesn't make you cleverer. In fact, the reality is by then you've forgotten most of the stuff you crammed in the day before for your exams. You've already passed the exam. You sat them weeks and weeks ago. What the certificate does, it doesn't change anything, but what it does is it kind of formalises, it acknowledges publicly something that has already happened, that you sat down, sat an exam, and got a certain grade for it. It displays it to anyone who's interested. Something that's already happened. Baptism, getting baptised, getting plunged in a big load of water in front of everyone, is like a public certificate Christians get to show what has already happened. To show, actually, I've become a Christian. I've made my own commitment to follow Jesus and I've been baptised as a result of it. That's why it comes after becoming a Christian. It doesn't make you a Christian. It's like getting the certificates. Well, how did they become Christians then? How did they sit the exam 
to kind of stretch the metaphor beyond breaking point. It wasn't, they didn't become Christians by being religious. The people that are going to get baptised today, if you've known them for a while, I hope you realise they've not suddenly gone religious. They haven't started dressing as monks or nuns uh, unless they did that beforehand. They haven't started doing all kind of weird ceremonies and things. They haven't decided I'm going to do lots of extra good deeds each day to suddenly make it better. You've noticed that they've been involved in church for a little while and they may have even talked to you about praying and looking at the Bible. But none of these things in themselves make them Christians. And getting baptised certainly doesn't make them Christians. Because a real Christian is not someone who's picked up a religion or adopted a philosophy of life or decided to be a little bit of a do-gooder. A real Christian is someone who is reconnected with God through Jesus. A real Christian is someone who's found that actually I can relate to and know God through Jesus. Christianity is a relationship with a real person, with Jesus and God. It's not a religion. Anything you've got in your mind of religions, get rid of it. That's not what we're talking about here. The problem we have with each one of us is we start off with our relationship with God broken. That's why life is as out of kilter as it often feels. That's why when you look around, the world seems such a screwed up place. Because we've got millions and millions and millions of people who've broken this connection with God. They're wandering around trying to work out how do we make things work? How do we act? How do we relate? How do we get on with people? What is good? What is bad? How do I run my life? And as many different people as break the connection with God, you get as many different ideas of how to do it that don't seem to work. What Jesus came to do is to mend the broken relationship between us and God. That was his whole mission. It wasn't to come down and and model sandals and beard for a while and then tell everyone how to get on. Jesus came down to tell us we've broken our relationship with God and Jesus says through himself we can reconnect with it. That's what his life was about. That's what his death on the cross 2,000 years ago was about. That's what his resurrection from the dead, which Christians believe is a real, historical, actual, physical raising from the dead. That's what it's all about, to allow us to remove the barrier that separates us and God. I mean, it may be even stretching it a little bit more for you. I'm talking about God. I just came here because my friend invited me. I I presume we'd sing a few hymns. I'm not even sure God exists, you may be sitting there thinking. And that's fair enough. I would like you to know that that's quite unusual. We think it's usual because in our particular culture, there's quite a lot of people who say, I don't really think God exists, or I'm not sure whether God exists. But actually, that is quite unusual, both across the world today and stretching back in time. The vast majority of people alive on the planet today believe in some kind of God or gods or spiritual side of life. The vast majority of people for the last, you know, tens and tens and tens of thousands of recorded history have believed that there is a God or gods or a spiritual side of life out there. It's, it's, there's something in us, hardwired into us, something in our DNA that seems to make us want to reach out above and beyond the normal kind of humdrum day-to-day existence of life. And so there must be something more to this. Even in officially atheist states, like in, uh, in, in China, Soviet uh, Russia a few years ago, where they, where they work hard to oppress and to teach the state's teachings, there is no God. There seems to be something, even then, that in people's hearts just springs up. Now, there must be more than this. When the Iron Curtain fell, 
and suddenly the Soviet Union crumbled and collapsed and the official atheist policy disappeared. It was almost like at springtime. All, I mean, all sorts of crazy, wacky cults springing up, but just all over the place, this kind of repressed desire to reach out to the spiritual side of life popped up in people. And I would think, actually, this is quite a strong piece of evidence that there is more to life than just the day-to-day existence. What are you going to wear? What are you going to eat for breakfast? What are you going to do at work? What are you going to watch on the telly? Who are you going to go out with tonight? What are you going to see? There's something inside of us that is asking these big questions. Why am I here? What is it really all about? What is the point? Have you ever asked those questions to yourself? Have you ever wondered about them? There is more to life than this. We are born to know God. And yet we've turned our backs on him. And so we find ourselves empty and alone, drifting in a cold, vast, barren universe, wondering why we feel this just isn't right. Jesus came to sort that out. Jesus was more than just a visionary, a philosopher, a prophet, a guy with some good ideas, a social worker. He was more than just a good guy in the wrong place at the wrong time, who got on the wrong end of the Roman Empire. Many people dismiss Jesus without even looking at him. It's like when a, you know, the party political broadcasts come on, isn't it? You're happily you know, waiting for EastEnders. You know, God help you, but you're just it's waiting for that. And then the party political hello, this is a party political broadcast on behalf of the Labour Party. It's, I mean, it's almost a mad panic, isn't it? As you're scrabbling for the control, you're jabbing any button. Make it stop, make it stop. Oh, brilliant. Deal or no deal. I can, br- I can breathe easy. There's something about them. We're just not interested. Turn it off. I'm not going to listen. Many people do that with Jesus. You may even have had that. Even while I've been speaking, oh, Jesus, well, I'm move on, switch on, start thinking about what you're going to have for dinner, what you're going to do tonight. What if, though, Jesus is who he says he was? What if there is more to Jesus? What if Jesus really is the person he claimed to be, the Son of God, come down to earth to rescue us? Change the channel. Switch over. Not interested. Investigate, check it out. No, not interested. If Jesus was who he really claims to be, maybe it is worth taking another look. Maybe it's worth thinking about again. See, the Christian faith self-consciously claims to be based on the life and the death and the alleged resurrection from Jesus, historical facts from 2,000 years ago. At the heart of Christianity is not an idea or a philosophy It's a claim that certain events really happened. And if they really happened, if Jesus really was the Son of God come to earth, and he really did die and rise from the dead, then maybe it's worth checking it out a little bit closer. I know that's a tall order to kind of accept all in one go on a Sunday morning, but maybe it's worth investigating. Christianity is not about blind faith. Because it's based self-consciously on historical facts, there will be evidence that you can look at, that you can examine, that you can probe. Who was the real Jesus? Why do we think this? Where's the evidence? What did he say? What did he do? Real Christianity, this may surprise you, encourages investigation, examination, challenging. Real Christianity says, this is true, so you can look as close as you like, and you can ask as many difficult questions as you like. 
Imagine that someone's just given you £20 million. You're not imagining very hard by the look of your faces. Imagine someone's given you £20 million. Yeah? One person, one person over there did this. Imagine you've got £20 million. You don't have to pretend. Don't go, I'm not, you know. Imagine someone's given you £20 million and you want to buy a piece of artwork. You come to me, naturally, as one of the world's leading authorities on fine arts, and say, I've got £20 million I'd like to spend on artwork, please. You know, probably a Picasso or a um, Van Gogh, thank you, etc., uh, etc. Et I needn't name any more. And I would say, yeah, I've, I've got you one. I've got you a piece of art, and it's worth exactly 20 million. That's the valuation on it. Would you like to see it? Yes, please, I'd like to see it. Imagine if I took you into a very dark room and said, if you stand there, and I'm going to pull these curtains over here and reveal your painting. And I pull the curtains, and there's the painting. And you say, well, it, it's a bit far away and a bit dark, but it looks all right. Can I check it out? You just watch it from over there. Can I come a little bit closer? No, no, just over there. Well, can I get it examined by any experts? No, 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 no. You've just got to believe. Just believe that this is your painting. Can I at least come closer? No. Who here would buy the painting off under those circumstances? Have we got any idiots in the room? No. And yet, so often... People are told similar nonsense about Christianity. You've just got to believe it. But what about this? No, no, just believe it. Just don't, don't question it. Don't challenge it. If you're going to buy a £20 million painting of me, you're going to walk right up to it. You're going to touch it. You're going to poke it. You're going to feel it. You're going to subject it to all sorts of analyses, aren't you? Lasers, infrared, ultraviolet. You, you know, you're, going to, you're going to get a key out and you're going to scratch a little bit off to see what happens there. You know, you're going to prod it. How, you know what's happening here? Take a little sliver off carbon. You're going to do everything you can to check out its authenticity. Listen, contrary to whatever you may have been told before, real Christianity encourages you to do just that. Come on, check it out as much as you can. Ask any question you like. Because if real Christianity is true, it can take it. A Christian is someone who has examined, investigated, discovered, and has found this is true, and they found a new relationship with God through doing so. <coughs> That is what becoming a Christian is. So let's jump back to the GCSE certificates for a minute. These people have become Christians. They've checked it out. They've investigated. They've asked their questions. Have they therefore passed God's GCSE exam? Is that what becoming a Christian is? It's like, have you been good enough? You know, you've been, you've been good enough. You can have a grade B. You can have a grade C. It's like F for you. Is that how God does it? That's not how it does it at all. A Christian is not someone who's been good enough. A Christian is someone who realises they haven't been good enough. This is where all my cleverly constructed exam metaphors fall apart. Because actually, a Christian is someone who realises, I've failed. I've actually failed the exam. We've all failed the exam. And Jesus taught that the wrong things that you and I do and the good things we're supposed to do that we don't do, all of which comes under the umbrella term sin. Jesus taught that all of this sin builds up inside of us like like limescale on our souls, like dirt on our spirits inside. It pollutes us, dirties us, sullies us, and severs our relationship with God. And the problem is, if we've blown it by our own standards, how much more have we blown it by God's standards? So we've all failed. God's GCSE exam in being good enough, we've all failed it. Some of you buy a bit, some of you buy a lot, but we've all failed it. You can't have a nearly clean driving license, can you? You can't have almost no criminal record. Try putting that down on a job application. 
We can't sort ourselves out. Christianity is not a religion, because a religion basically is like putting sticking plaster over skin cancer. What it does is it says, you do certain ceremonies and rituals and rules at certain times and say the right things to the right people, and hopefully it'll all be okay. It doesn't work. You can try hard to be good enough to make up for all the bad things I've done. I'll try and be better and better, but it's just like painting over the rust on your car. Looks good for a couple of weeks, then it flakes off, and it's worse than ever. What Jesus does is he gets to the heart, to the root of the problem. The heart of Jesus' message is forgiveness. Not make yourself good enough, not do loads of stupid rituals, but be forgiven. Be washed clean inside so that your soul and your spirit is washed clean from all the sin that we have done. It's not an endless moral scrubbing to try and achieve some kind of better state. I'm so guilty, oh, I'm so bad, oh, I'm such a wreck, oh, I'm so terrible, scrubbing away, oh, this isn't working, pass me the Brillo pad, oh, that's not working either. Pass me one of those electric sanders, will that get it off? That's a horrible picture in itself, isn't it? It's, that isn't what it is. Becoming a Christian is having all the wrong you've done and will ever do washed away in an instant for you. To follow Jesus, to become a Christian, is to put God back in the centre of your life and receive 100% total forgiveness, past, present, future. Even the worst things you've done, even the things that you're most ashamed of, even the things that come into your mind now as I say that you think, well, not that. Yeah, even that can be washed away by Jesus. That's why in baptism we shove people underwater and pull them up again. It's a picture of this washing. Push them down, bring them up. Push them in, bring them out. Now you could argue that's not a very effective way to wash people. Two seconds, in, out. Is there any soap? You know, we're going to spend any time in there? No. Yeah, I hope you don't wash like that at home because you're probably offended now, aren't you? Run the bath. That's me done. Fantastic. (laughs) Under the shower. Done. Don't worry about the quickness of it because actually what it's showing us is something else. It shows, first of all, the picture of the extent of this washing that Jesus does. One of the things you'll notice is we're going to get them in the water and we're going to push them right under the water. So they're totally underwater. And then we're going to bring them right back up again. That's because it's a picture of when you become a Christian, you are washed totally clean. Everything, everywhere, everything in your soul that is dirty, Jesus washes clean. Also, you're going to notice that there's me and Chris, two of us are going to be in there pushing them underwater, pulling them up. They're not going to go in themselves and go, okay, up and out. That's because the reason we push them under, it's a picture of the fact that when you become a Christian, the cleansing inside, the forgiveness is not something you do for yourself, but it's something that's done to you. You don't become a Christian and then try and clean yourself up. You become a Christian and Jesus cleans you. Totally. 100% clean. If we push them under, we pull them up. The reason we don't hold them under for ages, other than drowning, (laughs) health and safety, is that when you become a Christian, in an instant, your sin is taken away and your guilt is gone and you're made clean. Just like that. But what about the really bad things? I've got to work those off. No, no, everything. In an instant, everything is washed clean when you become a Christian. It's not a lifetime then of trying to earn it or be good enough or pay God back. It's just washed clean. It's just forgiven. 
And the bonus is even though I've just been washed clean and forgiven, I now have the power to live differently. When you become a Christian, you can actually live in such a way that pleases God. Not in a slavish kind of, oh, I must do it, or oh, I'm indebted, I must do it. Actually, because I want to, because I'm pleased. One of the brilliant things about becoming a Christian, which you'll have noticed in your friends and your family here who have become Christians, is that they change inside. They literally become a different kind of person. With, with things mean different things to them, and things that previously they're not interested in, suddenly they think are great. Things that they thought were fantastic, actually, I don't really want to get involved in that anymore. When you become a Christian, you're changed inside, and you want to do the right thing. You want to live Jesus' way. You want to live a new life the way he says to do it. You don't become a weird monk or a weird nun. You actually become the person that you were born to be when you become a Christian. And all the stuff that you'd picked up over life that was pulling you down and twisting you around and changing you into someone that you didn't really like, drops away. And you start to become more and more the person that God created you to be. You find real life. So finally, why are they getting certificates then if they haven't passed the exam? Because Jesus has passed the exam instead. Jesus lived the perfect life on earth. So that instead of getting his grade A certificate for himself, he could give it to you, and to you, and to you. He did it on our behalf. I know that sounds a bit like cheating, but it's just an illustration. You know, it wasn't that the exams watchdog wasn't paying attention 2,000 years ago when Jesus was up to his tricks. He pays the penalty for our failure. He pays the penalty for our sin. He takes his, his goodness and gives it to us, takes the dirt, and he takes it upon himself. And Jesus' death on the cross was not a terrible accident. It, 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 was not a, it was not a political protest gone wrong. Jesus' death on the cross was when he took the guilt that he's going to wash off from you when you become a Christian, put it onto himself, and died, taking the penalty that was deserving of it. And he did this as a man. I'll give you a less cheaty example for you just to finish. In cricket, cricket is a, a, a very interesting sport. Most sports, when you're injured... It's game over, isn't it? If you're playing football, someone goes in with a particularly hard kind of tackle. They go in with both feet, take you down. Oof, I'm struggling a bit. What happens? Well, bad luck. It's the end of your match. You've got to leave. Someone else has got to come on. Cricket has an altogether different rule. And there are many things wrong with cricket, but this is just one of them. If you're <laughs> in cricket, if, you can't, if you're a batsman, maybe you've twisted your ankle or maybe you just had kind of too many pies at lunchtime or something like that, and you're not able to run any other sport, sorry, that's the end of your innings, in cricket, no, 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 you get a runner, don't you? I'll, I'll stand here and swing the bat, and someone else runs for me. So you knock it like that, the other fellow runs up and down, you just stand there leaning on your bat, looking injured. I'd call it cheating, but actually, it's, it's completely legal. Uh, I looked it up online in the MCC Laws of Cricket. 116 fascinating pages. Uh, (laughs) But there it is. The interesting thing, though, is this. The runner has to be just like the batsman. Now, I don't mean slightly overweight with a beard or anything like that. What I mean is he has to go out there. Even though he's not going to hit a ball, he has to go out there fully all in all the clothes, with the pads, with the gloves, with a helmet, holding a bat. So he has to be just like the batsman. I guess that's an attempt to make it fair. Otherwise, you'd get Usain Bolt out there, wouldn't you, in his running spikes. Hit the ball. Four. It didn't reach the boundary. No, he's just run four runs. All right. Fair enough, and the big fat batsman still leaning there, yes. 
Do you know who gets the score, though, that the runner does? The batsman. He hasn't run. He hasn't run anything, but he gets the score. Now, where I'm going with all this, in case you're starting to wonder if this is a kind of a rant, is this. Jesus, when he came down, came down as a human. Came down just like us. Didn't come kind of all godded up with running spikes so he could just whiz through life easily. Jesus came down as a man. He lived as a human. He was subject to all the pressures and temptations and difficulties and hardships that you and I experience. But he knew that we were morally crippled. He knew that we had, you know, we had a, we had a twisted spine and, and broken feet. We were never going to run for ourselves. So Jesus lived his perfect life on our behalf. And who gets the runs? We do. Who gets the score? We do. Who gets the GCSE certificates? We do. Who gets to connect with God and to know him forever? We do. All because of what Jesus did. And a real Christian is someone who has accepted what Jesus has done on their behalf. A real Christian is someone who has committed their life to Jesus, to live for him in gratitude and enjoyment of the relationship with him. And far from being a dull, grinding religion, they experience a life of fullness, of doing what they were made for, relating to God. It's like being up in the, in the Arctic Circle, and after months and months of Arctic winter, the sun finally rises above the horizon, and you think, oh, there's light, there's something more. And as you live your life as a Christian, the sun rises higher and higher, and you see more and more of what God's done for you. And you find out there is more to life and then just tedious day-to-day existence punctuated by the odd moment of excitement. You discover that when we connect with God, we connect with the reason for our living. And this isn't just something that happens to religious people. This isn't just something that happens to people like them. These are your friends. These are your family. These are people you know and love. And I want you to know Jesus' offer of forgiveness is open to everybody. It's open to people like you who have maybe never really thought too much about Jesus, who've never really connected with God before. Jesus' offer of a new life and forgiveness is open to you. And I want to nudge you this morning. If you're not a real Christian here, I want to nudge you. Maybe it's time to think again about Jesus. Maybe it's time to look a little bit closer at the masterpiece and see if it's a little bit more authentic than you perhaps thought it was. You're welcome to talk to the guys who are getting baptised, if you've come with a friend, to talk with them. I'd love to talk with you at the end. But I want to just drop this in. Maybe this is the day it's worth checking it out a little bit more. Okay? Thank you.